Well, today we move from chapter 12 of John's Gospel uh, to chapter 13, and we encounter another significant shift in the story. So if you remember back to the beginning of, of chapter 12, uh, chapter 12 began six days before the Passover. And here, chapter 13 begins on the day of the Passover meal. Chapter 12 began with a, a special meal as well. This one, that one was in honor of Jesus. And we found Mary at the feet of Jesus, washing his feet with perfume and drying them with her hair. Well, here, chapter 13 begins with this special Passover meal. But now it's Jesus we find at the feet. Jesus at the feet of his disciples, washing them with water. Jesus is no longer with the crowd. It is now Jesus with only the twelve. They're in an upper room. It's Thursday evening. It's the night Jesus will be betrayed and handed over to death. This is the last supper that Jesus shares with his disciples in less than 24 hours, God the Son will die on a cross. And He knows it. Our text this morning is John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. And if you're using the Bible under the chair in front of you, you're going to find that on page 900. Let's pray. Lord God, as we come before You this morning, we desire to encounter you, to encounter you afresh, to see you, to catch a glimpse of your beauty and splendor, to, to see your glory, to receive and be changed by your self-giving love. And so we ask now that you would speak to us through your word, by the power of your spirit. Amen. And so John chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. Hear the word of God. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not, not my feet only, but my hands and my head also. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed 
does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you all are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet, and put on his outer garments, and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And this is God's word. Well, as you can see, John lays out this passage basically in two parts. Now, first, there's the scene, the actual scene of the foot washing. And then it's followed by the meaning of the scene, an explanation of it. And so that's how we're going to look at the passage this morning, the scene and the meaning. And so, of course, we're going to start with the scene itself. And John gives a few introductory remarks in the first three verses uh, to set the scene. Uh, It's the Passover meal. Uh, Jesus knows that his hour has come, the, the time for him to give his life, the time for the true Passover lamb to be sacrificed. And on the eve of his death, Jesus shows his disciples the full extent of his love. He loves them to the end, it says, meaning without end, forever, perfectly. And Jesus puts that love on display as he washes his disciples' feet. As he washes their feet, a tangible, concrete picture of what true love is, of what God's love is all about. Now something important that John wants us to see here is that Jesus knows who he is. Okay, he hasn't forgotten who he is. He knows exactly who he is. He knows his power, his authority, his divinity. He knows the love of his Father. Now why why is this important? Well, it's because of what we're about to see. It's because what Jesus is about to do isn't in spite of, of who He is, but precisely because of who He is. The love of God, the glory of the Son of God can be seen as God washes feet. Now, washing feet back then, it was a disgusting job. I mean, nobody wanted to do it. And of course, you've got to remember that they only had dirt roads. And so, wherever you walked, it was always going to be dirt. Pretty, pretty much was a dry climate, so dust, dust, and dust everywhere you went. The occasional rain, which meant mud, mud, mud. So it wasn't a pretty place to walk around. And even when it was dry, it was still hot, so you'd sweat. So no matter what, when you went from one place to another, you arrived with muck on your feet. And of course, the shoes, I mean, they were merely sandals, a flat sole, just a few straps, so they weren't very helpful either. So, so basically, people's feet were getting dirty all the time. Always getting dirty. 
And so typically as an act of hospitality and necessity, there would be a basin of water and a towel just inside the front door for travelers to wash their feet. And this would be as common as when you go over to somebody's house today and there's a place to hang your coat. Now, remember what we learned a few weeks ago. If you go back to the beginning of chapter 12, when Mary was at the feet of Jesus. What we learned there was that dealing with feet was seen not only as gross, but it was seen as humiliating, as degrading. Dealing with with feet was something that only servants did, and only non-Jewish servants at that. Well, here we are, Jesus with the twelve, having this last supper together, and no one has bothered to take care of this need. No one has, has offered to be the servant and to wash the feet until Jesus does it. And what he does is not only a necessary act of hospitality and care, but also a picture, a picture of his entire life in ministry. Now, seven, uh, several commentators uh, comment on this. They, they point this out, and, and I want you to take a look at the verbs, uh, beginning with verse 4. So Jesus rose up from supper, just as he'd gotten up from his place of honor in heaven. Jesus laid aside his garments, just as he'd laid aside his rights and privileges, his glory. And then Jesus wrapped a towel around his waist just as he wrapped himself in our humanity. Jesus poured water into a basin and washed the disciples' feet, just as he was about to pour out his blood and wash away sin on the cross. And when he was finished, Jesus took back up his garments, put them on, returned to his place at the table, just as he would rise from the dead and ascend into heaven back to his place of honor. And so John is keeping the big picture before us. He wants us to remember the enormity of this story that is unfolding as we see this act of self-giving love unfold at the disciples' feet. And so Jesus begins to wash the disciples' feet. And then we run into Peter. Or rather, Jesus runs in to Peter. And what does Peter do? How does he respond? He objects. No way. Not my feet, Jesus. Uh Uh-uh. Not going to happen. Peter. Peter, you'll understand later. Oh, no. No. You are never going to wash my feet. Never. Literally, never to eternity will you wash my feet. Then Peter You will have no part with me. Oh. Well, okay, then then how about all of me? My head and my hands as well. Everything. Is it just like Peter, isn't it? And then Jesus, then Jesus opens up this metaphor for his disciples, and of course for us as well. Jesus says, verse 10, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet but is completely clean, and you are already clean. Okay, they got this picture. This was their everyday experience. 
And so here Jesus is helping them make the spiritual connection. You take a bath and you're clean. You walk somewhere over dirty, dusty roads, your feet get dirty, your feet need to be washed. But only your feet. You don't need another bath. Now, of course, what Jesus is talking about here at this point is not physical dirt, but rather the soil of sin and the daily need to be cleansed from it. When you become a Christian, you get a bath. You're clean. You're justified by faith. You don't need another bath. You don't need to bathe over and over and over again. You have been forgiven of sin, washed, clothed in Christ's righteousness once for all. However, if you've had a bath, if you've been justified by faith in Christ alone, you still need your feet washed daily. Why? Because you walk in a fallen world. The roads are still dirty and dusty. We still walk struggling with sin and need to be washed daily by God's grace. It's part of our sanctification. Part of our growth in grace. But here's the thing. Take a look at Peter. What we see in Peter's objection is our own innate resistance to God's grace. Just like Peter, we are resistant to that grace that he pours out on us. So I'm reminded to a time back in my mid to late 20s, I was being mentored by an older friend named Ty. And we would get together on a regular basis, and I remember we had not seen each other for a couple of months. It had been summer, and so we'd been traveling and missed each other. And so we were finally getting back together. We were having uh, breakfast. I remember the place well. Elmo's, a little cafe. We're sitting across from each other at a booth. And I am enjoying catching up with Ty. But Ty was being a little more observant. He was paying attention to what I was saying and how I was saying it. And he began to notice something. He began to notice in, in what I was saying that I was actually trying to earn his friendship, that I was trying to earn his spiritual care of me. And because he loved me, he stopped the conversation. He interrupted me. He looked across that booth. He looked me in the eye, and he said with gentleness and firmness, Camper, you don't receive very well, do you? Receiving is at the heart of of the gospel. And if you don't learn to receive, you'll never understand grace. Our resistance to grace. That's what we see in Peter's objection, our own innate resistance to God's grace. But take a look at Jesus. What do we see in Jesus, the good news is we see the persistence of grace. Well, so that, that's an overview of the scene itself. And so let's move now to the meaning. What does it mean, the meaning of the scene? Uh, Jesus asks, verse 12, 
Do you understand what I have done to you? Do you understand? Well, you know, we've got an even bigger picture now. We've got the whole Bible. We can look back. We can see the cross. Do you understand what I have done to you? Yes, first and foremost, He came for you and for me. He came from heaven and earth. He put on human flesh. He did this that He might die for us. He washed our feet by giving Himself in love for us on the cross. And so what now? Well, just as Jesus poured out His love and washed our feet So we are to pour out our love and wash His feet. No. No, actually that's not it. That's not what Jesus says. It's what I think He's going to say, but that's not what He says. What, What does Jesus say? Verse 13 and following. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. We are to wash one another's feet. Okay, so what does that mean? I mean, does it mean that we're supposed to go institute a new sacrament, the the sacrament of foot washing? No, no, not at all. I want you to notice what Jesus says in verse 15. I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Do you understand what I have done to you? I have given you an example. An example, an illustration, a pattern. You see, it's not a specific command. The command comes later. In chapter 13. And this is a picture of it. An illustration of what it looks like being played out. The command to love. Jesus says, verse 34. A new command I give to you. That you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And John has made that clear at the very beginning of this passage. That's what this passage is about. It is about love. The extent, the full extent of God's love in Christ. And so Jesus' foot washing is a picture. It's a picture of how He has loved us and how we are to love one another. And what kind of love is it? It's self-giving love. We are called to be self-giving rather than self-serving. And so what does that love look like? Well, a few commentators have been helpful here because we see this self-giving love play out in a couple of ways in this passage. Now, the most obvious is practical care. Okay, and we've already, we've really touched on this. Uh, The the foot washing, it was an act of practical care. It was a need in that day. It was a necessity. And so as we think about it and we apply it to our own day, it's easy to see that we're called to address the practical needs of others. We're called to care for those who can't or who struggle to care for themselves. 
Maybe the, the elderly, the infirmed, our, in a, our aged parents, the poor, uh, orphans and widows, the homeless. We are to get close to those who are suffering and where possible seek to alleviate suffering. We're to open our homes to the lost and lonely and so on and so on, taking care of practical needs. So that, that, that's practical care. That's the most obvious one. Well, the other way we see this self-giving love play out is less obvious, but is clearly present. The less obvious way is confrontational care. This foot washing was clearly an act of confrontational care. Now, I want you to keep in mind that Jesus has said, I I have given you an example, an example of the command to love, because it's all about love. And so Jesus' foot washing, again, it's that picture before us of, of, of how he has loved us and how we are to love one another. And so it's all about love. But before we go further, let me ask you this question. Do you really love others? Do you really love others or do you merely tolerate them? Because there's a big difference. And you know, tolerance is a high value for many today. You know, and and it may look good on the outside, but like bad fruit on the inside, it's rotten. Tolerance is not a biblical value. Tolerance merely says, I'll put up with you. But that's it. You know, I started thinking about that this week, and it was just last Sunday during the offertory. We were singing, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me, this I know. And I thought, substitute the word tolerate. How's that go? Jesus tolerates me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. No, it doesn't. I hope not. Or my own kids. If you go up and ask my kids, you know, do your parents love you? I hope the response is, no, but they tolerate me. That might be true some of the time, but hopefully they're getting the message that we love them. But but here's what's tricky about it, is tolerance is just one step away from indifference. Okay, and we've talked about this before. It's been a while, and we don't really have time to dig into it now. But I want to remind you that indifference is the most insidious form of hate. It's when you get to the point that you simply say, I don't care. I couldn't care less about you. I don't care what happens to you. And so, friends, don't settle for love's counterfeit. Don't deceive yourself by merely tolerating others. To love like Jesus, self-giving love, that's what we're called to do. And here, we see Jesus loving. We see Jesus loving through confrontational care. Now, there are actually two confrontations that take place in this foot washing scene. Okay, the first is simply in the act of washing the disciples' feet. Because none of them have bothered to do it. And you'd think that someone might offer to do this. But no one's bothered to do it. And, and, you know, this is the last supper that they're having 
with Jesus. But you know what they're all worried about? Yeah, we don't see that here in John's Gospel, but Luke lets us know what they're arguing about, what they've been arguing about, is who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Clearly, it's going to be me. Not you, I'm the greatest. Nope, I'm the greatest. And what do great people not do? Great people do not stoop down and take up a basin of water and a towel and wash people's feet. Right? But God, in all of His glory, does. The greatest one does wash feet. And so just the act of foot washing is confrontational in and of itself. Well, of course, the clearest confrontation is the verbal one with Peter. And what's interesting here is Jesus comes to Peter and he refuses to tolerate him. I mean, think about it. He could have simply just said, well, there goes Peter once again. Let's move along down the line. Wash somebody else's feet. (laughs) But he doesn't do it. He stops. He looks across the table. He looks Peter in the eye. He refuses to tolerate him. And instead, Jesus goes after him in love. And so we see the persistence of God's grace. So who do you need to go after? Who do you need to pursue? Now I realize... Nobody likes to confront. And nobody likes to be confronted. None of us. You know, uh, several years ago, there was a a young man who was a part of this uh, congregation, and he had been hurt by somebody in the church. And so he did the right thing. He sought spiritual counsel and care, and he prayed about it. Could he overlook this offense? But it really became clear over time that he needed to go confront the person that had hurt him. And so he did. He confronted me. And he did so in love, with patience, and with a gentle firmness. And you know, the thing is, I had no idea that I'd hurt him. And I wasn't really happy about hearing what he had to say. But you know what? I'm glad that he came to me. I'm glad that he showed the courage and the care to confront me Because today I think I'm a better person for it. And I do want to be clear, it it, it wasn't easy, not at all for either of us, but it was an opportunity, an opportunity for him, an opportunity for me to grow in grace. Now, did we say everything right? Did he have all his ducks in a row and say it perfectly and I then respond perfectly and everything is just hunky-dory and wonderful after that? No, no, we didn't get it all right. In fact, we stumbled a lot along the way through those conversations over the next several weeks. But at the same time, we trusted God. We continued to engage each other, and we worked through it together. And today, we have a strong relationship. In fact, I greatly appreciate his friendship, and it's a friendship that was born through confrontational care. Again, we look at Peter and we see Jesus' same posture toward us. Jesus refuses to tolerate Peter. He refuses to tolerate us. He loves. He goes after you. He goes after me. 
Jesus goes after Peter. Now, of course, as we read this brief part of the story, you know, the good news here is, is that Peter did respond. He, he did listen. He responded favorably. And it blessed him and it blessed the community. And, of course, that's not always the case. It, it doesn't always go that way. It doesn't always go that well. But, you know, you are not responsible to make other people change. You can't. But you are responsible to go after them, to love them, to pursue them, to not tolerate them. So let's go back to that question I asked earlier. I'm going to ask it a little differently. But who, who in your life, who in your life are you merely tolerating? And you know, maybe it's somebody that you actually love. I mean, that's often the case. That's where we run into attention. And it's often because of the fear that we're wrapped up in. But who do you need to love through confrontational care? Because you need to go. But before you do, go to Jesus. Before you go to them, go to Jesus. Because it's His perfect love that drives out our fear. And it's His perfect love that fills us. That fills us with His love so that we can love others well. Not perfectly. That's why we need grace. That's why we've got it. But so that we can love others well. Whether they receive it or not. And then there's the flip side of the question. Do you make it easy for others to confront you? Are you approachable? Or do you try to avoid confrontation by shutting it down before it even begins? Again, nobody likes to confront and nobody likes to be confronted. But we're all called to love one another, whether confronting or being confronted. I want you to remember... Those roads, those first century dusty roads. You know, feet back then in Jesus' day, they were wounded. They weren't just dirty. They were scraped and cut, sometimes infected too. And you know, the, the thing is, is sometimes people just got used to it. In a sense, they became numb to the pain. But friends, real love is kneeling down and washing dirty, wounded feet for one another. It's confrontational care precisely because you love and because you have been loved. Now, brothers and sisters, that is what we're called to do. But you, like me, know that we cannot do this in and of ourselves. And that's why John, throughout his gospel, continually points us to the cross. Because in and of ourselves, we are prone to what? We're, we're prone to self-serving, not self-giving. But as, as we look to the cross, we see Jesus. Jesus ultimately washed our feet 
by giving himself in love for us on that cross. And as we continually look to the cross of Jesus, his spirit, the Holy Spirit, continually opens our eyes and changes our hearts to both receive his love and also extend his love to one another. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for stooping down and washing our feet. And for now, inviting us to be a part of your healing work in each other's lives. And so we pray, Lord, help us to love one another just as you have loved us. Amen.